the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You see, when we think of salvation, we often just think of that one experience of passing from death to life, and that's valid. But salvation is far deeper than that. It's really in three tenses. We have been saved at a point in time. We are being saved now, and in the future, we will be saved from what? That's a good question. We Christians often speak of being saved or having salvation, but usually we are referring to only one of the aspects of this very inclusive word. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's program is part of a series on key Bible doctrine words. Words like redemption, justification, salvation, new birth, propitiation, repentance, reconciliation, adoption. These words form the very foundation of our faith, and we need to know their full meaning. Today and in the next verse by verse, Pastor Steve will delve into the full meaning of the word salvation. Our key Bible text for today is found in the Epistle to the Church at Ephesus, chapter 2, where Paul wrote, For by grace are you saved by faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation is the gift of God, and we'll learn more about what this is, how it is given, and what it means for Christians, both right now and through all eternity. Here's Pastor Steve. What would you say if after telling a person that they needed to be saved, they looked you in the eye and they said, saved from what? That's been the experience of some people, and they really are not sure how to answer that. We, we use the term saved and salvation you need to have a saving experience. We, we use them a lot, but do we really understand what these words mean? They're basic, and yet they're not so basic. The word salvation in the Greek language refers to deliverance, deliverance and, and safety and preservation. All of that is tied into those words. In fact, deliverance is really just another, another word for salvation. Originally, the concept of salvation was used by ancient Greek writers to refer to making one safe or delivering from a threat. And so they saw it in a physical sense, and, and initially that's how it was used by, by the ancient Greek writers, in a, in a physical sense to be delivered. And when the New Testament writers used this word, they primarily, though occasionally they used it in a physical sense, deliverance, but they primarily used salvation in a spiritual sense, spiritual deliverance. We have looked in previous times at such words as redemption, which basically means to purchase, to buy. We've been bought with a price. Secondly, we looked at justification, which is the act of God whereby he declares the sinner righteous. We have been declared righteous. We are more than forgiven. We are righteous as far as God is concerned. And now tonight, salvation, to deliver. 
to deliver. It is a word we're most familiar with. I, I would think that most of us in explaining our our spiritual uh, relationship and experience with the Lord would be comfortable saying we're saved. We could use a lot of other terminology, a lot of other, other phrases, but most of us would feel uh, comfortable saying that we are saved. It's a word we use most often. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel announced that his name should be called what? Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It's an important word. Jesus, that name, Jehovah's salvation, it's, it's tied into it. Yeshua, salvation of Jehovah. The Lord Jesus verified this when he said in Luke 19.10, he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to what? To save that which was lost. The Apostle Paul said that this is what he experienced. He said that Christ Jesus came into the world to what? Save sinners. And he said that he was the chief of sinners. And this is what Paul said that, that we experienced when we trusted Christ for our salvation. He said, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But the question still remains, what are we saved or delivered from? And that's what we want to understand. And, and I think an illustration might help at this point. Handley Mool was a godly scholar preacher. I have some of his books in my library. And Mool ministered in Great Britain around the turn of the century. And one day he was walking along the street and he was approached by a Salvation Army worker. And this woman asked him, she said, sir, are you saved? This godly scholar looked at her and with a twinkle in his eye, he said this, do you mean, have I been saved? Or am I being saved? Or shall I be saved? You see, when we think of salvation, we often just think of that one experience of passing from death to life, and that's valid. But salvation is far deeper than that. It's really in three tenses. We have been saved at a point in time. We are being saved now, and in the future we will be saved, but from what? You see, the writer to the Hebrews... When he speaks about the Jewish people who some, because of persecution, were retreating back into Judaism and he calls them to press forward, he says in chapter 2, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Such a great salvation. Salvation is not something that just happened because you called upon the Lord and that was it. Salvation is that and much more, and it is an important area. We are saved in the past. We are being saved in the present, and we will be saved in the future. Now, it is vital to understand that. Why is it so vital? Well, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I just want to show you one aspect, and then we're off flying on, on this. In Ephesians chapter 6, as Paul begins to wrap up his letter to the Ephesians, and probably it was a circular letter, not just to the Ephesians, but probably the Colossians and the Laodiceans as well. Many believe it was not just to the Ephesians. But in his circular letter, which we call the Ephesians, Paul winds down this letter by telling them in chapter 6 that they are to put on the full armor of God. They are to be fully prepared they, to meet Satan's onslaughts. After you know all of these great truths, what he is saying is now you need to be prepared and understand that Satan will attack you and you need to be dressed in the armor of God. God has provided protection for all of us from Satan. And he uses the analogy of a Roman soldier. A, Ro a Roman soldier's uh, armor is what he says God has provided for you. 
in a spiritual way. And in verse 17, he says this, and take the helmet of salvation. That's a fascinating phrase, and we don't have time to go into all of that. We have a whole tape series on Ephesians, but the helmet of salvation. The reason he says this is because Our salvation is one of the areas that Satan attacks. He wants you to doubt your salvation. He wants you to think that if you were saved, you are no longer saved. And he wants you also to think that uh, you are continually going to be in a struggle and it will never end. And so he attacks us in that realm. Many people I know uh, suffer from wondering about their salvation and, and very confused and doubtful about it. And so he attacks us. Now, a Roman soldier had a helmet. And the reason he had a helmet is because the enemy would have uh, a broadsword. There was a dagger that he'd use, but also he came with these long broadswords, and he would take that sword and smash it down on the Roman soldier's head. And if that wasn't protected with some type of a helmet, it would split his skull. God says, now I want you to understand that, that as a Roman soldier has his head protected by by a helmet, uh, some type of a metal helmet. So I have provided for you to have your mind protected. And what I have provided to protect your mind from Satan's onslaughts is a helmet known as salvation. In other words, we've got to understand this salvation to be protected from our minds being attacked by Satan. Okay, so that's what we want to do tonight. We want to look at the past, the present and the future aspect of salvation. And I'm convinced that if you understand salvation from the, from those three aspects, you will have the protection that God has already provided. You'll wear that protection. Okay, to begin with, the past aspect of salvation. The moment you realized your sinful condition and you looked to Jesus Christ as your deliverer, as the one who, who paid for your sin, you were what the Bible calls saved. His name is Jesus because he saves us from sin. He has saved you. You were saved from what? The moment you called upon Christ or put your trust in him, you were saved from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. And what is that penalty? It's separation from God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That doesn't just mean the physical death. It means separation. Separation. We were guilty of violating the very standards of God. James 2.10 says, if you keep the whole law and yet you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. I don't know anybody who's kept the whole law and been guilty of one point, but he's simply saying that even if that were possible, even if you did that, but you blew it in one area, you've broken all of God's law because God sees his law as one, sort of like a, a telephone wire. You can snip it at, a, at 14 different places and it doesn't matter. You cut it once and it's cut. It's gone because it's one. So as sinners, we deserve to die. We deserve to be separated from God for all of eternity. All of eternity. That's what we deserved. We deserved God's wrath, God's judgment, and we would have experienced it if it had not been for the grace of God displayed in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says that Jesus died for us. The just dying for the unjust, the righteous for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. While we were dead in sins and trespasses, Jesus died for us. And by the grace of God, we have been saved. But however, just knowing that Jesus died for us is not salvation. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died in our place. Our sins were paid for by him, but it doesn't affect us until we appropriate that. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. And we're just sort of 
jumping around tonight, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, say this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's important. Sometimes we say it's a dying world and we've got to reach it with the gospel. Uh, it's dying in the sense that it's physically dying, but actually it's a dead world. It's dead. It's already dead. Dead in sins and trespasses. In which... Paul writes, you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. What he's saying is you were born as children of wrath. You and I were born into this world, dead in sins and trespasses. We walk like everybody else, and if we didn't do it outwardly, we did it in our minds, and we were a corrupt people. You jump down, though, to verse 8, you see the marvelous good news, and it really starts in, in verse 4 with that little phrase, but God. Well, certainly one of the most important phrases in the Bible in verse 4, but God, but God. God did something about that. Christ died for us, and verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You have been saved. You have been saved, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. No one's going to stand before God and say, boy, pat me on the back. I am good. I'm better than most. No, anyone who goes to heaven is going there because of the grace of God. Undeserved favor. It's a gift. God has freed us from the guilt and the penalty of sin, which is hell, really, eternal separation. Now, how does Satan attack in this area? Well, Satan's good at this. And uh, he attacks us. He comes to us and... Uh, he attacks our minds. He says, how do you know that you were really saved? How do you know that you were saved? Look at your life. How can you claim you were saved? I mean, if you were saved, you'd have victory. You'd have victory over sin. You'd, you'd never struggle with sin like you do. Or he says, how do you know you really meant it when you asked Christ into your life? How do you know you really meant it? Maybe you should invite him in again. And then you do that. And the next day he says, well, maybe you didn't say the right words. You know, you gotta say the right words. So you invite him in again and again and again. Or he says, if you if you really accepted the Lord, you would feel spiritual. You'd feel saved. You don't feel saved, do you? You look at other people and, and compare it to you, they're spiritual giants. And you, you're, you're still struggling with the basics. How could you be saved? And he does that in our minds. And how do you deal with doubts of salvation? How do you deal with it? Well, I'll tell you, for one thing, you don't argue with him or you lose. He's a brilliant, genius, madman, and you don't, you, you'll lose. In fact, that's the point of Ephesians chapter 6. We, we wrestle not against flesh and, and blood. We wrestle against Satan, but we wrestle with God's protection, not your own. God has provided the protection. We don't go in there and say, we'll take you on and I'll figure this out. And I'll, no, you'll, you'll be more confused than ever. What do you do? You lean on the word of God now. You do two things, actually. To know that you're saved, you turn to the word of God. And such passages as John 3.16, which says that we need to trust Christ. Whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the objective truth of the word of God. And you rely on that. You believe that, regardless of whether you have feelings contrary to that. But secondly, there is a subjective truth, which is also based on the word of God, and that is you look and you see if there is evidence in your life that you're a believer. Look at Ephesians 2 again. We often stop at verse 9. We always quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but you know, verse 10 
is critical to our understanding of this. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We often leave off verse 10, but what he's saying is, if you are really saved, the result of genuine salvation is good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. It's part of God's plan. This is a great uh, study word in the Greek New Testament. The word workmanship refers to something that that is made. Uh, In fact, our English word poem comes from this Greek word because someone would create a poem. It comes from this Greek word, and in the Greek language, this word came to mean a masterpiece, a work of art. Do you know that you and I are God's masterpiece? We're his work of, of art? We are. We're God's masterpiece. We're his poem. We're his work of art in which he's designed to produce good works through us. Every time you do a good work, that's God's handiwork being demonstrated through you. Some of the good works will be really a desire to do what's right, love for the brethren, confession of sin, repentance in your own life, anything that is in obedience to the word of God. You cannot do that if you were not saved. If you were not saved, you would have no spiritual desires to do anything. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's absolutely true. You would have absolutely no desire to to do anything of a spiritual nature, regardless of your struggles with sin. The unsaved are totally at enmity with, with God. They totally hate him. They're not necessarily conscious of that. I don't think they necessarily wake up and say, oh, I hate him. But they do, and the fact that they, they hate him is demonstrated by, by virtue of the fact that they don't obey, and they don't desire to obey. But if you desire to obey, and you are uh, trying to live by the word of God, you are his workmanship, demonstrating that. So if you're confused about the time of your salvation, or the events around it, or what words did I say, you know... Uh, Don't be too concerned about that. In fact, don't be concerned at all. The proof of your salvation is your works, your obedience to the Bible. That's the message of James. That's the whole message of James. If you've really been saved, James says, don't tell me you believe. James must have met a lot of religious hypocrites in his time. And James is saying, don't don't tell me that you believe. Show me that you believed. Show me that you believe. And he speaks about justification by works, not in the sense of being justified before God. That's by grace through faith. But James is using justification in the sense of being justified before man. It's before man that we prove that we know the Lord and we prove to ourselves that we know the Lord. Many people try to uh, to really date their salvation. And, and this is when I was saved. This is why I know I'm saved. You know, the Bible never says that uh, to have assurance, you ought to determine the date that you were saved. Now, it's fine if some people can do that. That's wonderful. But it's not necessary. God always calls us to the proof of salvation being the objective word of God and the subjective evidence in our own lives. First John, that's what First John is all about. These things are written that you might know that you have salvation. They know that you have eternal life. So if you're confused about that, if Satan has come to you and said, have you been saved in the past? Yes. The word of God says, if I come to Christ and I believe... I am saved. I have been saved. The word of God says that if I was really saved, then the evidence of my salvation will issue forth in good works. I know I am saved. So in the past, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. That is spiritual, eternal death and judgment. How about the present aspect of salvation? You see, if Satan can get you to doubt that you were once saved at a point in time, He'll try to get you to doubt whether you're still saved. And there are many people who struggle with that. Many people believe that you can lose your salvation. The Bible doesn't teach that, but there are many people who struggle with that. There are others who teach it. The Bible doesn't teach that. I was with someone not too long ago who 
looked me straight in the eye and said, after I told him what the Bible said about eternal security, he said, well, I still believe we can fall from grace. Many people believe that. And the way that, that Satan uh, does this is he'll whisper to you, you may have been saved once, but you've certainly lost it. Look at your life. Look at your life. You see, when we say that we were saved in the past from the penalty of sin, we are saved now. We are being saved from what? The power of sin. The power of sin. Paul said to the Romans, he said, sin will not reign over you. We sin, but it does not dominate us. If it dominates you to the point where you're a, where you're a slave, where you can't obey, then you're not a believer. Romans chapter 6, you can check it out on your own. Well, in fact, we'll, we'll check it out in just a moment. But you see, here's the point. If, if you're really struggling with sin, Satan will whisper to you, and he will say something like this, look, if you're really safe from the power of sin, how come you're so impotent? Spiritually, you don't have victory. Look at your life, it's a shambles. You, you, you're always losing the battle, or you seem to, and, and others are making progress, and you're not. How could you say you are being saved from the power of sin when you look at your life? So some people think, well, they must not have ever been saved and they obviously are not being saved. They must have fallen from grace, as they put it. Let's look at Romans chapter 6 again. Romans chapter 6. I'll not go into an exposition of this. Once again, we, we have tapes on. This is, the, I think, uh, Romans 5 and 6 uh, are two of the hardest chapters in the Bible to understand. And I remember after studying this, I had a splitting headache. But uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 12 and following tells us such wonderful news. And maybe that's why I had a headache, because there was a real spiritual battle going on. I think it's critical to understand Romans 5 and especially Romans 6. Therefore, Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin, and this is great, sin shall not be master over you. It will not. It can't. For you are not under law, but under grace. You've moved from the realm of law to grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Paul says, may it never be. Perish the thought. Uh, we would say, don't even think such a thought. It's hideous. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin. Now notice that you were slaves of sin. You had no choice in terms of, of whether you were going to obey or not. I've said this before. You really had no free will. You simply had choices as to what sin you would commit. You were slaves of sin. You were slaves of sin. You didn't have an option. Well, I think I'll obey today. Uh, no, no. It's just a matter of what sin you'd be involved in. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. In other words, he's saying you were, you were saved. You came to Christ. He calls it obedience. And have been freed from sin. You And having been freed from sin, you became what? Slaves of righteousness. You are slaves of righteousness. Now, does that mean that you'll always have victory? No. We still struggle. If you don't know that, all you have to do is study Romans chapter 7. Paul speaks as a mature believer of the struggle between the spirit and the flesh in him. However, what this does mean is that you do not continually, habitually, lifestyle, mindset, sin. There are breaks. There is repentance. There is confession of sin. If there's not 
that in your life, then you do have to wonder if you're really a believer. But if there are breaks, if there's some victory, if there's some obedience, if there's confession, if there's repentance, then you are not continually slaves of unrighteousness. So if you if Satan comes and, and he whispers that to you, uh, you will be smashed with his broadsword and your Christian life will be paralyzed if you think that you're going to be saved again and again and again and again. You won't move forward. You won't move forward. You'll, you'll be paralyzed in your life. Your only protection is to appropriate from God's word what he says about our present eternal security. It is a vital doctrine to understand that we uh, have been saved and we are being saved. What did Jude say? He said, to him that is able to what? Keep you from falling. Isn't that wonderful? He's able to keep you from falling. He's able to keep you from falling away from salvation. John 6, 37, Jesus said, He that comes to me, I will in no wise, no way ever cast you out. I think that's pretty clear. That's some of the best news we'll ever hear. Jesus promised that all who come to him will be accepted and will never be thrown aside. And that's good for all time and for all of eternity as well. You've heard Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's lesson was part of a series that, during the next couple of weeks, will take us through some key Bible doctrine words and what they mean for us today. In the next lesson, we'll continue with our study of the word salvation. Verse by Verse is a daily radio program with lessons taken from messages given at Lakeside Community Chapel. You can hear today's lesson again or explore the many other subjects on file at our website, versebyverseradio.org. They're available for free download. And if God leads you to support the ministry of Verse by Verse, click on the box, Support Us, to find out how you can help keep this program on the air. Be sure to join us again next time as we continue our study of the word salvation in all its richness of meaning. I'm Jerry Pruden, inviting you to join us again for the next Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.